Wednesday, April 17, 2019. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City here in Denver, Colorado, and we are back for another day of talking sports with a dose of common sense. Hey, happy Wednesday to you. Of course, we are now getting closer to the NFL Draft. It's coming very quickly. And you know, it was on this day, April 17th, back in 1999, that the Cleveland Browns had the top pick in the NFL Draft once again. You know, in their history, the Cleveland Browns have actually had the overall number one pick five different times. So surely, they've cashed in on all those opportunities, right? Well, actually, not really. Back in 1954, the Browns took quarterback Bobby Garrett out of Stanford with the top pick. There was just one minor problem. Bobby Garrett had a horrible stutter. He couldn't get the plays called in the huddle in time. I wish I were joking. He never played a single game for the Browns. You do kind of see where the NFL Combine thing came in, right? In 2000, the Cleveland Browns took Penn State defensive lineman Courtney Brown. He played five seasons, never really did much of anything. Of course, recently in 2017 and 2018, the Cleveland Browns seem to have gotten the top pick right with linebacker Miles Garrett and of course last year with quarterback Baker Mayfield. But on this day, back in 1999, the Browns selected University of Kentucky quarterback Tim Couch. Again, five top picks, three monumental busts. I mean, Tim Couch had put up big numbers at Kentucky, but a lot of that was just the system he was playing in. And when he reached the professional level, he was constantly injured. Cleveland couldn't keep him on the field. They ended up cutting him in 2004. Hey, you miss on that many number one overall picks. Yeah, what do you expect? You become a factory of sadness. We will see if the Cleveland Browns have now turned a corner with their latest success. Hey, if you'd like to contact the show, maybe tell us your favorite NFL draft bust. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com, or you can go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at dailydosports. If you've got some feedback for the show, Maybe you have a suggestion. Maybe you need a little advice. Oh, we are so good at handing out some advice. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out. Also, be sure you stop by tpublic.com. Pick up some Daily Dose gear. We do have our Daily Dose iTeam t-shirts over there. Got hoodies, got sweatshirts, got a number of different items over there and a number of different styles to choose from. Don't forget when you order your Daily Dose gear, you can pick the color on any of the shirts that are over there, which is kind of nice. Maybe you have a specific color that you feel you really look good in, or you feel someone else really looks good in, go pick that specific color and get what you want. Just make sure you stop by tpublic.com. Hey, today on the show, we do have a few news stories coming out in the world of sports we definitely need to cover, but then we will be continuing our conversation with basketball coach Russ McKinstry. You know, Russ has such a unique insight on sports in general, and basketball specifically, he's been coaching basketball for 30, 40 years. He's worked in sports administration for just as long. He knows sports. He really, really knows basketball. But, you know, we talked to him yesterday about the NCAA tournament. We talked to him about some of the things we saw in this year's tournament. Maybe we haven't seen that much of recently. We talked about how Tony Bennett kept the Virginia Cavaliers focused on the prize, didn't let all the distractions get to them. Today, we're actually going to finish up talking some college basketball, but then We're going to be moving over to the NBA playoffs, get his thoughts on some of the first round matchups, 
and who he thinks could be going to the NBA Finals. Now remember, we recorded this back before the games even started, but you take a listen today, and Coach Mack got a lot of things right. But first off, let's jump into a few stories that we do need to touch on. Starting off, you know, we talked a little bit about the NBA playoffs on Monday. Over the weekend, we saw three major upsets in those first games. The number seven Orlando Magic beat the number two Toronto Raptors in the East. We saw the number six Brooklyn Nets hammer the number three Philadelphia 76ers also in the East. And the number seven San Antonio Spurs beat the number two Denver Nuggets in the West. And what did we hear? Right away, all we heard was all three of these favorites are in trouble. These series could be over. Well, on Monday night, Philadelphia blew Brooklyn out. And then last night, Toronto handled Orlando pretty easily. And the Denver Nuggets scraped out a win. Wasn't always pretty. I know that doesn't sound great, but they came from down 19 points to get a nine-point win, which just might give a young team like Denver some confidence going forward. Not only does it give a young team like them confidence, but also has to shake San Antonio a little bit because they have to be thinking to themselves, okay, well, we were up by 20 last night and we still didn't get the win. What is the cushion we have to give ourselves? But it's interesting because all three of these series are now even. And if we were looking at them going forward, yes, the road team is now going back home. But every single one of these series is a toss-up. You can't just sit there and say, hey, the team that won game one is definitely going to win it. Or the team that won game two is definitely going to win it. Hey, I told you on Monday, as crazy as this sounds, and I know this is going to sound crazy, seven-game series do not actually end after game one. You know, you'd think we would know that by now, but I don't know, sometimes we just forget that. We look at game one and we say, that's how the series is going to go. Yeah, not so fast. There's going to be a lot of changes along the way. Again, sometimes it's best to just kind of wait until we get to like game four, game five, and then see where we're at instead of overreacting to all these game ones. Hey, they are saying that Golden State Warriors center DeMarcus Cousins has a torn left quad. Yeah, that's not good. Doctors are still determining the severity of Cousins' quad tear, which will determine the length of the recovery process. It is unclear whether or not Cousins is going to need surgery or how long he could be out. An MRI did confirm the team's fear that there was a tear yesterday morning, but they're still not sure how long this is going to keep him out for or how bad of a tear it is. But let's be clear about one thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's done for the year. You don't just come back from a tear in your quad. That is a huge muscle. You're not just going to go, oh, just rub some dirt on it. He'll be fine. Now, if he has to have surgery, it's going to be even more serious. But either way, I don't know that DeMarcus Cousins is going to be playing again this year. Now, if you didn't see it, Cousins' non-contact injury occurred while he was chasing a loose ball in the first quarter of Monday night's 135-131 to loss to the LA Clippers in Game 2 of that playoff series when the Clippers came from down 31 points and beat the Warriors in Oakland. Now, a couple of thoughts from this whole situation, and let's talk about the game itself first. The Warriors have no bench. They didn't have a bench with DeMarcus Cousins. They have even less of a bench without DeMarcus Cousins. And then we saw late Monday night, Steph Curry got in some foul trouble. The Warriors got really, really stagnant, and it's a natural thing. Like, you try to tell your team, hey, don't coast, pretend it's zero to zero. 
Hey, everybody knows what the score is. Everybody can see we're up 30. The Warriors took their foot off the gas pedal and it hurt them. And don't forget, the Clippers have now developed a pretty good bench and they were able to get on a roll, come back, and the Warriors go down in game two. Let's see if the Clippers can do it three more times though. Because I know the first reaction of a lot of people is, hey, the Warriors could be in trouble. Yeah, maybe. But let's just see if that was more fluky than it was really a sign of things to come. But let's talk a little bit more about the DeMarcus Cousins injury because this injury is horrible news for Boogie Cousins. I don't know if it's that bad of news for the Warriors. Yes, they are thinner on the bench. And when I say thin, I mean like anorexic because they already didn't have much. But they are actually better in certain ways without Boogie Cousins. He does not play the pick and roll well at all. Yes, he gives them a big strong body. Yes, he rebounds and he changes shots inside, but he does have some flaws to his game. But let's go back to Boogie. Remember this about him. He was trying to get that big contract. Remember, no one wanted to sign him. No one wanted to give him a big deal. So he said, hey, I'll go to Golden State. I'll prove my worth. And then next year, I'll get that big deal. And of course, he was coming off of a torn Achilles. Now he has a torn quad. Okay, what's going on here? I mean... I don't want to lob out any conspiracy theories about what Boogie is doing, even though I, you know, definitely have them. If you want to talk to me away from the show, I'll throw a few out to you. But how old is Boogie Cousins? Isn't he like 27, 28? These are the injuries of an old man. These are the injuries that Kobe Bryant had when he was in his mid-30s and had been in the league since he was 18 years old. Why in the world is DeMarcus Cousins having these kinds of injuries. That's a little bit weird, isn't it? But this is really, really bad news for DeMarcus Cousins. Hey, one other story we should touch on. The Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson did reach an agreement on a four-year, $140 million extension that includes a $65 million signing bonus and makes Russell Wilson the highest paid player in the NFL. With four years added to his contract, Wilson, who is now 30, is contractually tied to the Seahawks through the 2023 season. In addition to passing Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers as the richest contract ever with a new average salary of $35 million per season, Wilson also set a record for his signing bonus. This is a huge, huge win for Russell Wilson here. He has carried the Seahawks. He hasn't had much help. All you see every game with the Seahawks is them limping along, not really doing anything, and then in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden they turn Russell Wilson loose, he puts that offense on his back, and he carries them, and as a result, he is getting a huge, deserved contract. So good for Russell Wilson. Well, except for the fact that he's taking that huge deal, and the Seahawks aren't going to have much money left over to get him any more help. Uh, Russell Wilson, didn't you already see how this works with Aaron Rodgers? I mean, we can talk about how great Aaron Rodgers is. We can talk about how great Russell Wilson is. If you don't have any help around you, you're going to struggle. I don't care how great you are as a quarterback. You can make a bad team look better. You can't make a bad team the best team in the league when you have zero help. You know, a lot of times we look at the New England Patriots. We're like, how do they afford to sign this guy and this guy? And they just pick up this guy and this guy. Never forget, Tom Brady has always turn down more money in favor of getting some help. You're telling me it hasn't paid off? Hey, Russell Wilson, congrats on that big contract. Oh, and by the way, 
Also, uh, good luck because you're going to keep carrying a huge load every single year. Hey, coming back, we will get back to our conversation with basketball coach Russ McKinstry and get his thoughts on the NBA playoffs. We still have a lot of things to get to today on The Dose. Hey, just a quick reminder that if you have any shopping you need to do, whether it's for yourself, maybe you have birthdays coming up, maybe you have holidays coming up, just remember you might want to head over to lootcrate.com forward slash daily dose where you can find the latest pop culture collectibles that feature your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, and your favorite video games. April's Loot Crate theme is now out. It is called Showdown. When the time for talking is over and there are scores to be settled, these pop culture heavy hitters are always ready for a showdown. Hey, join us as we celebrate iconic battles with epic gear. April's Loot Crate theme features items from Captain Marvel, Aquaman, and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But remember, if none of those franchises interest you, you can always go over to Loot Crate. You can choose from a selection of crates. You can get a monthly subscription of crates that'll arrive in your mailbox every month. Or you can just go over there and order individual items. And remember, they have a ton of things in any franchise that you can think of. The best part about ordering from Loot Crate, when you check out, make sure you type daily dose in the coupon box. We are going to get you 10% off of your order just as a little thank you for listening to The Daily Dose. So yesterday, we began our conversation with basketball coach Russ McKinstry. We discussed the NCAA tournament. We talked about how the Virginia Cavaliers were able to go from being the biggest disappointment just a year ago to winning it all this season. But we've got more to get to with Coach Mack. He understands basketball and sports so well. I wanted to ask him about the NBA playoffs. Going to get to that in just a second. But first, I wanted to ask him, why he thought that UCLA had such a hard time filling their head coaching job. Let's jump back into that conversation right now. Coach, in the past few weeks, we have seen a storied program in UCLA really, really struggle to get a head coach. They did finally get one, but John Calipari, Rick Barnes, Jamie Dixon, they all said no to that job. And those are just the ones we know about. There may have been more. Why does that job no longer have the luster that it used to? Because UCLA used to be the end-all, be-all job, we saw guys turn it down and say, no, I don't even want to go to there. Yeah, you know, it must be, it has to be, because that, obviously, you would consider it when you talk about the top jobs that anybody would want to try and, uh, you know, get or uh, obtain. There must be something internally, a culture that has permeated, you know, um, that campus where there are probably too many voices, too many people that shouldn't be involved, who are involved, too many alumni maybe that are saying, hey, this is the way we did it back when Wooden was coached, and this is how we got to do it now. And and I think there's just a lot of um, turmoil and not enough of a, hey, this is a, a one voice. This is how we're going to take care of business. And this is, you know, this is what we're going to do to reestablish the culture you know how it goes when you live in the in the past and you're trying to recreate the glory days and you know things change people change uh the culture changes and sure it's nice to um, respect that and honor that but kids are different you know the world is a lot different now and you're not going to recreate that that was a special time that will not be recreated but that doesn't mean you can't create a new culture that will flourish because it is. And not only is it one of the best basketball jobs, I mean, the academic reputation of UCLA is off the charts. So it's the best of both. So it's a great job, but obviously it's disjointed and there are too many voices involved. Coach, you've taken some jobs 
at least similar to that. Jobs that had expectations, job that had noise coming out from different people, whether it was, you know, parents or fans or whatever it was, you have dealt with some, how do you deal with that as a coach? How do you kind of sidestep a lot of those minds that you're going to step on and just get the focus on your program? Well, I think, you know, you have to be very strong in, in your convictions. You have to be very uh, focused on the process of how you know uh, success can be obtained. And you have to have, uh, you know, uh, a bottom line that is bigger than winning. And I think at UCLA, the bottom line still might be winning. And when you go in that, that mindset, then you can't win. It's just, it's, it's one of those vicious, uh, cycles that the more you want to win and that you emphasize winning, you can't win. So you just got to go in with the mindset of, okay, first of all, we're going to establish this is, you know, we're going to conduct business in this manner. And you have negotiables, you have non-negotiables. And I think right now their priorities probably at UCLA are, are very uh, skewed towards, hey, you know, we got to do whatever we got to do just to get back to winning, where you need to have a really strong personality that comes in and says, you know, before you can win, you've got to do, you know, these 15 things. You got to get guys that were, you know, have a tremendous work ethic. You got to have guys that are unselfish. You got to have guys that are uh, operating with a a high level of integrity, you know, and and once you establish that and you hold to it because you're going to be tested on that, uh, then you give yourself a chance to build something special, a culture where, uh, you know, winning will take care of itself because you're doing all the little things. Your attention to detail is so uh, strong and, and your convictions are so uh, established that winning just starts to happen because you're doing all the little things it takes to win. Coach, the NBA draft is still a couple of months away, but we know some of the top players that are going to be coming out. I'm giving you the first pick in the draft. Who are you taking? Because I know Zion Williamson is the heavy favorite. You know, recently, I actually heard a rumor that a guy by the name of Jerry West is really, really big on Murray State guard Ja Morant. He says he would even take him above Zion. If you had the top pick in the draft, which of these young kids would you be taking to build your team around? Uh, without hesitation, I'm going to take Zion. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I like that kid from Murray State. He's he's made up all the right things in his athleticism and basketball IQ is off the charts. But Zion... And I say Zion because not only is the talent there, but I also, everything that I've studied, watched, heard, read uh, about Zion, again, goes back to those intangibles we just got through talking about. Right. High level of integrity, tremendous work ethic, unselfish, honest, you know, and, and when I see a kid who has as much talent as he has and who can be as dominant as he has, plus all those character attributes, then there's no doubt I'd go with Zion. Well, and you know, you kind of look at him and you kind of start sizing him up in the NBA and you say, okay, well, who's going to, who's he going to guard? Is he going to be a four? Is he going to be a three? I think he's probably, I don't know if he's quick enough to be a three. I don't know if he's big enough to be a four. I look at it kind of the other way and say, okay, well, who's matching up with him? Because I don't know yeah. who's going to chase that kid around. He's so strong. He's so athletic. And like you said, I like those intangibles. I like the motor he has. I love just how hard he plays every night. He seems to love to play basketball. I'd take him just for that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, he plays the game with the, with a passion and joy that uh, you don't see that. I mean, it, it's not work. It's not uh, a burden. It's strictly what he loves to do most in life. And 
And, you know, a lot of times you get uh, reluctant superstars who are just naturally gifted, but, you know, they, they almost feel like it's a burden. But Zion almost has that Magic Johnson quality to him. Yeah, he does. Approach. You know, and that's, and Magic's probably my favorite all time player. And that's, Zion reminds me of Magic and his mentality of not only can he, you know, demonstrate a high level of individual play, but he makes people around him better in so many different ways. Well, and we've talked about this just in coaching. It's one thing to have that, that overly talented player, that guy that is almost touched by God, the, the Magic, the, the Michael, those guys that were just such freaks of nature, but it's an entirely another thing. When they are also the guy that is going to say, Hey, everybody, you better step up your game. You better work as hard as I am working. Then that's when you have those special, you know, once in a lifetime kind of guys. Yeah, no doubt. And we, we see it at the high school level all the time. If you're, if your best player isn't your hardest worker, you're in trouble. You know, if, if he's a goofball or knucklehead and you got to prod him and pry him and, you know, do whatever you got to do just to make him work hard every day in practice and exhibit all the leadership qualities you need him to exhibit off the court and on the court. If you have to do that, then you're kind of in for a miserable experience because it's not going to usually end well. Coach, let's shift over to the NBA a little bit because the NBA playoffs are now underway. And I wanted to discuss a few of the playoff matchups that we have. But before we do, you brought up Magic Johnson. And like you, I'm, I was a huge fan of Magic as a player, but what in the world is going on with those Los Angeles Lakers? Of course, Magic just quit as president of basketball operations for the Lakers last week. Just out of nowhere, he just up and quit. What in the world is going on back there? <laughs> yeah, that was a shocker. I mean, uh, especially the way it went down where, you know, he quit before he even informed the Lakers he's quitting. What a bizarre way to announce your quitting is to have a, a press conference and, tell your bosses through a, a press conference that I'm done. But I, I think magic, I kind of feel the same way about John Elway. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people get outside of their calling outside of what their purpose is in life. And, and, you know, they, they're very successful people, very driven, but yet sometimes they're just miscast in a role. I would just say that magic was kind of miscast. I, I don't see him being the type of guy that can call Luke Walton in and say, hey, Luke, I'm sorry, we're, we're parting ways. I've, I've got to get a better coach in here, and you're not the guy. That just doesn't seem natural to Magic because he's such a motivator and uplifter of people. And in that GM role, you're doing, you know, you're making all the very difficult decisions, and you're being the guy that's basically, you have to be hated almost yes. because you have to make such hard decisions. And Magic doesn't want to be hated. You know, Elway might be a little bit more, uh, you know, I don't give a crap who thinks what of me, but when you are kind of the legendary hero or regional or national hero, I, sometimes I just think that burden is, is something that really gives them a, a sense of conflict that they don't know how to resolve. And sometimes I feel that way about Elway uh, being so scattered in his approach with the Broncos and I think Elway and Magic kind of share that same legendary status, uh, and it's very difficult for them to be in a position where they have to really be negative Nancy or Debbie Downer. They're just not built that way. Well, and that's a good point because you, you do have to make those tough decisions, and you've got to tell people news that they don't want to hear. I look at Magic Johnson. He's like an ambassador. He comes in and gives everyone a hug, and he smiles, and he talks everybody up, and he sends guys tweets when they need encouragement. He is not, like you said, the guy that is going to make heads roll. The other thing that I kind of wonder, I, I do kind of wonder some of these guys, and, and John Elway and Magic are, are two 
perfect examples. Not that they didn't work hard, but both of them did have a little of that touched by God. I don't know if they honestly realize, hey, that job is a lot of hard work. You're in some, you know, crappy gyms looking at some kid from, I don't know, Kazakhstan and saying, can this kid play at our level? And I've got to really research it because we're going to invest some serious money in him. I think there's a lot more that goes into that job than just, hey, I'm just going to pick and choose some guys and give them all hugs and it's all going to be, you know, fun and games. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And you know, I, I kind of reflect back on my career. And one reason that I really, when I was coaching and I was a point guard, I really didn't want to coach the guards because I could never figure out why so many kids struggled with some of the concepts and techniques and fundamentals that I wanted them to do, because to me, it seems so easy. So I really shifted my coaching to the big guys and, and I studied and learned and, uh, you know, did all I could to, to learn about how big men are supposed to play. And I think I was a better coach because of that, where like Elway, I mean, Hey, just go out there and throw the ball and you should have a feel for the game and how to think when some anticipate when someone's going to be open. And magic was the same way on the basketball court. You, you can't teach those magical qualities that both those guys had. And it kind of, you know, goes with them in, in their new roles as, as GMs is, you know, I don't, I don't get it why these guys aren't developing the way I want them to develop. I think Paxton Lynch with John Elway, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll bring him in and we'll coach him up. And that, it really doesn't work that way, unfortunately. So coach, you're telling me this is the reason that I had to work with the guards when we were coaching together because, because <laughs> you didn't want to have to work with those knuckleheads we had because they couldn't figure out how to play basketball the right way. Yeah, it's funny. I, th I think you're right. I, I got too frustrated and my frustration probably got them frustrated. And so I said, to heck with it. I'm no dummy. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll, I'll delegate. <laughs> Coach, let's jump into the NBA playoffs and let's start over in the East where we have in that first matchup, the number one Milwaukee Bucks against the number eight seed, the Detroit Pistons. Coach, I think Milwaukee might be a team we're all underestimating a little bit. If they can shoot it a little bit, if, you know, someone like Eric Bledsoe or someone like that could just keep teams honest, the Bucks could be a legitimate threat to win the East. Giannis is just such a pain to defend. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's a, that's a nice, nice team. I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm a little bit biased in, in this matchup and I'm pulling for the Pistons because of my, my boy, Pat Garrity's there sure. as the assistant GM, but I don't think uh, the Pistons have a chance. I think they might maybe get, get one game off the Bucks, but uh, I don't think Blake and uh, Drummond are, are enough to, to push them past the Bucks. And yeah, I, the Bucks, like I said, we talked earlier, the Bucks, the 76ers and, and uh, Toronto are the three that I think are, are strong in the East. And, uh, you know, if the 76ers have a healthy Joel Embiid, then, uh, I, I see them and, and the uh, Bucks being the, the two teams that I like the most. But, yeah, you, you can't sleep on Toronto or Milwaukee. And it's kind of, I think they're a lot like the, the Nuggets. We're not located in that part of the country. So we kind of take it for granted that, you know, they're okay, but they're nothing special. And I'm sure that's how people feel about the Nuggets, too. So we'll see if the, cr the, the cream rises to the top during the playoffs. Yeah, Coach, and, and I'm looking at the Raptors, and I'm a little bit torn on them because – we know what Toronto always does in the postseason, but I'm looking at that group and some of the pieces that they've brought in and obviously Kawhi and he's so talented and we kind of forgot how good he really was, but they brought in some size with Gasol. They've got Serge Ibaka who can defend a little bit. Mm -hmm. They've got a couple of three point shooters with Van Fleet and, and of course, you know, 
Kawhi, but that team might be the sneakiest team over there. They're facing Orlando. I don't think Orlando's going to have much for them aside from, I think they'll play really hard, but Toronto could be the sneaky team over there. Yeah, you know, and you're right. I think if, if you made me put some money down on which team, I, I probably would actually go with the Raptors because of what you just mentioned. I just think Gasol and Ibaka with their playoff experience and, and, uh, the skill level that they bring, uh, around the rim and, and defensively and how they seem to play their role very well. I'm, I would probably pick the Raptors as the team that's going to come out of the East. Yeah, I would too. And the other team you talked about, Philadelphia, who'll be facing the Brooklyn Nets. If Joel Embiid is healthy, I don't have much of an issue looking at Philly as maybe the top team over there. But without Embiid healthy, he just changes so much about what they do. Those Brooklyn guards, it's kind of bizarre to say, but D'Angelo Russell is playing really, really well. So is Joe Harris. I don't think they beat Philadelphia, but without Embiid, I don't know. Then maybe it's a little more interesting. No, I think uh, you're, I think you're right. And, um, the Nets are—they're um, kind of a funky type of team. That uh, I don't know—they—they—they're like the Utah Jazz. They're the Utah Jazz of the, yeah. of the East, you know, where you just don't want to play them because they—they they do some really good things scheme-wise. They've got some decent talent. They've got some go-to guys that can can make plays when you need them to make plays. And and I for sure feel the same way you do in that. If Embiid isn't healthy or isn't consistently playing for the 76ers, then that, that, that'll be a, a tough, tough seven game series, I imagine. Coach, when I'm looking at Philadelphia and I think they are probably the most talented, you know, starting five over there. Is there any sort of a power struggle going on? Sometimes I get the feeling that, I don't know, maybe Embiid doesn't always like playing with Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons is probably too passive. A lot of times it just seems like they've kind of got some weird chemistry thing going and maybe it's just, they haven't played together long enough. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I look at them as the most talented. I don't exactly know what to count on with them though. And I think, I think you're right. I think it boils down to Jimmy Butler. I I can't quite figure him out. Um, He's so talented. It's so talented and, and, uh, and, and some nights just so unstoppable. But sometimes I think his head gets in the way, and I'm not sure about his leadership and his uh, likability amongst his teammates. That's a part I, I just I've always not quite uh, can put my thumb on it. But there's some element that he brings to to a, a you know a team, a franchise that sometimes you wonder is he doing more harm than good. So, and for his sake, I hope I hope I'm reading it wrong, and hopefully he's the the, the glue guy. You know, yeah. that he's the one that's actually holding it all together. And, the other guys are the flakes, but it makes you wonder sometimes. Coach, what do you make of Ben Simmons? He's such a big guy. He handles the ball like a point guard. He can't shoot a lick, but he has a huge upside, and he can defend almost any position on the floor. I can't quite decide, is this guy the next superstar, or is this guy just he can't shoot it well enough? Is he not going to work on his game enough? I can't quite figure out Ben Simmons. Well, I think he's the ultimate poster child for AAU basketball. Yeah. Um you know, where you have extremely gifted kids that uh, don't develop the right uh, framework of, of skill work, you know, jump shots, mid-range game. It's all about getting to the rim and dunking and showtime stuff. And I, I just have watched him throughout his career, and I've never seen him really improve in an area where he was weak at that area. He's gotten stronger in the areas where he's already strong, 
but he ha- he doesn't have a well-rounded game. And I and I really like him, but he's almost a role player for you. You know, right. he's a third or fourth type player. You know, he's not uh, your go-to guy. He's not your shooting guard guy. He's just kind of a, a, a well-balanced Blake Griffith, you know, type yeah. of player that, you know, probably doesn't even shoot as well as Blake Griffith, you know. And Blake has kind of made himself a little bit better shooter, but Blake was kind of that way. He was so dominant in college that he didn't need to really depend on his jump shot. But at least he's developed a little bit of a game outside now, kind of like Dominique Wilkins had to, you know. He kind of falls into those type of players, but just doesn't seem to take the, the jump that Dominique or, or Blake has taken where he at least can shoot and make you respect that he's got a, a, a decent perimeter game. Hey, tomorrow on The Dose, we will, of course, be bringing you the latest and greatest in the world of sports news. And then we will be continuing this conversation with Russ McKinstry. We're going to continue talking about the NBA playoffs. We'll finish up the Eastern Conference and move over to the West. And we will be getting his picks for the NBA Finals. Hey, I have to say thank you all so much for listening to and for sharing the show. Thank you for the emails, the texts, and the tweets. Don't forget to stop by T Public and pick up some of that Daily Dose gear you know you need in your life. I have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great Wednesday.